Ah, welcome everybody, and thank you for joining me again. This is Evan Hochstetler, and I am your host for Ramblings of a Young Conservative. Uh, it's great to have you with me. I cannot thank you enough for the support that I received on my first episode. I know that was a long time ago, but now that I'm back into the swing of things, uh, I should be posting more regularly. But again, I'm very humbled by your support from the first episode, uh, whether you reached out to me personally or whether I just saw you as a, as a statistic on the Spotify Podcasters website. Uh, your support means the world to me, and I had a lot of fu- a lot of fun doing that first one. So now that I'm so now that I'm back and settled into a routine and back into the swing of things, I figured there's no better time than now to start my second episode. So I might as well jump right into what I wanted to talk about today, and uh, that'll basically briefly be the state of the Republican Party right now, its future, and what Republicans need to do in November, strategy wise. So we've got the never-Trumpers on one side and the Trump fanboys on the other side. There's a sharp divide of the Republican Party right now, and I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good for the party. I don't think it's good for our nation or our politics as a whole. Uh, But what exactly can be done to bridge this divide or, you know, bring the party back to some sense of normalcy? And my answer to you is nothing as long as Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Donald Trump is the singular source of this divide in the party. I mean, with, again, without a Donald Trump, you're not going to have the Trump fanboys and you're not going to have the never-Trumpers. You notice how the word Trump is on both labels for those factions. Uh, he is the catalyst for this segregation of the party. Uh, the never-Trumpers, the Lincoln Project, for example... Uh, on the Never Trumper side, they're never going to compromise with anybody who holds a similar position on an issue to Donald Trump. Uh, they've drifted fairly far to the ideological left, specifically and only to spite the Trump side, the Trump wing of the Republican Party. And yeah, they're not going to budge. It's just not going to happen. And then the Trump fanboys, of course, they're not going to budge because when they praise the president, they receive praise back, and it only helps them. And they're able to use that to kind of rile up their own base uh, come election time. They're not going to budge on that. Uh, it's extremely unhealthy. I really wish this weren't the case because as a conservative, most of my ideological and policy positions tend to align with the Republican Party. But I can't really say I'm a Republican because nobody knows what that means anymore. Uh, you are either on one extreme or the other. Uh And I'm looking forward to the day that this ends, whether it be in 2020 or 2024, uh, whenever Trump is out of office. I suspect it'll be in 2020, but we'll get into that in just a second. But yeah, once Trump's out of office, I expect because he is that single catalyst and the driving force of the divide in the Republican Party, once he's out of office, things should return to normal. There's going to be no reason for those two sides to hate each other. Uh, for example, there was a, a verbal altercation that broke out in some Republican committee uh, and caucus meetings. Uh, I think it was, I mean, within the last couple of weeks where Liz Cheney, uh, a U.S. representative who called out Trump on a lot of his bullshit, was attacked by other Republican leadership uh, saying that she should lose her leadership position because she is not fully on board the Trump train. And I think that's ridiculous. 
Um, I also think Liz Cheney can be ridiculous at times. But again, the, the attacks on her, because she is a sometimes Trumper, uh, those are just ridiculous, ridiculous attacks. Uh, but that's not going to happen with without President Trump in office. There's going to be no point of contention within the party. Uh, the Lincoln Project, who essentially say that we need to burn down the Republican Party as we see it today and rebuild it according to more traditional conservative values and what we know the Republican Party should be without Trump. And I agree with I agree with their motive, but that's not practical whatsoever. I mean, you're just not going to be able, with Trump in office, you're not going to be able to burn it all down and build it back up uh, because that divide is so sharp and because the people are so dug in on either side of that divide, uh, they're not switching positions. They're not going to consent to tearing down uh, the, the Trump wing of the Republican Party as long as Trump's in office. Uh, it's just, it's impossible. So it's, it's a waiting game for Republicans. It's a waiting game for whenever Trump gets out of office to essentially see the, the party naturally heal and come together because there's no point of contention anymore. And I know it's, it's kind of a pessimistic way to look at it, I, I genuinely think that's the only realistic way moving forward for the Republican Party uh, to unify again. Uh, it's, it's just the reality that we're facing. Uh, but this kind of brings me into my next thing that I wanted to talk about, and that is what should the party do, to the, the GOP do in November? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's time for the Republican Party to admit that we're not going to keep the presidency this year. I mean, there's a possibility that Trump could win. I think that the only thing that will push him significantly over the finish line would be some major October surprise, some egregious error or gaffe by Joe Biden, uh, or televised debates that just happen to have Trump clobber Biden over the head uh, for hours on end. Those are the only real things that can sway any meaningful number of points in the polls. And I don't even think that any of that would be enough. But all, regardless, all of that is out of a campaign's control or a party's control anyways. Um, I mean, the October surprise, of course, would have to do with opposition research and everything. But largely, it's out of the party's control. Uh, not only whether or not those things will happen, but what exactly is the substance in those things like for the, the October surprise, for example, whether or not the, the substance of that is enough to damage Biden enough and push Trump over the finish line. Sorry. I kind of mixed my words up there. I couldn't talk for a second, but I got it out. Give me some credit there. But yeah, the, the party and the Republican base as a whole, I think needs to focus their energy, take it away from the presidential race and focus it on vulnerable Republican Senate seats. I mean, we see Trump losing traditionally conservative states by five or six points, seven, eight points even in some cases. The only place I think that's wrong was in Florida. But again, this is not a polling episode. We'll have one of those, and we'll get deep into the, the weeds of data later. But yeah, Trump's losing traditionally conservative states by up to eight points in some places, and that's shifting over to some of the Senate races as well. Uh and it's kind of difficult to determine the source of that shift in some of these competitive Senate races, uh, whether or not it stems from Trump and the hatred of Trump or whether it stems from members of the Republican Party itself. 
but that doesn't really matter. The, the fact is we've got multiple Republican Senate positions and seats that are very, very, very vulnerable this election year. Uh, the biggest one would be Susan Collins in Maine. Susan Collins is a very moderate Republican. Um, there are certainly plenty of things that I disagree with her on policy-wise. But she's not Trumpian. She's mild-mannered and and very parliamentary, if you will, and cordial with how she conducts herself. Uh, but she's losing by three or four points uh, in the general election polls, and that's frightening. Because whether or not you love Susan Collins as a Republican, you know, she hasn't done a harm to the party. There are a good deal of things that she has sided with Donald Trump on, and then there are a good deal of things that she has called him out on and attacked him on. And most of those being part of his character uh, and how he conducts himself and the things that he says. But she's shown up to defend him just as often. And that's where the the 16, or not the 1619 Project, which is a bunch of horse shit from the New York Times, but the Lincoln Project, uh, the sort of part of the never-Trump wing of the Republican Party that says we should burn the party down and build it back up, uh, they're running ads against Susan Collins, a fellow Republican. Why? Because of the few times that she has sided with Trump on things, because of the few times that she's refused to denounce him on certain issues or policies or whatever it may be. Despite the fact that she's dissented from him hundreds of times, more so than any other Republican official in our government. I mean, it, it shocks me that the Lincoln Project views her as a threat to democracy or a threat to the Republican Party when she's one of the few people holding it intact in the first place. She's one of the few people that is in the middle of the divide, that is the glue that is struggling so hard to hold the party together. And they want to kick her out of office and put in someone who would flip the balance of the Senate, a liberal Democrat, uh, potentially flip the balance of the Senate, uh, and that could do real harm when combined with a Biden presidency in November. It, it does not make sense. Uh, if we lose these vulnerable Senate seats, we'll have a Democrat-controlled House, Senate, and White House. And they will have an, they will be unstoppable when it comes to passing uh, public policy. Joe Biden's proposed $3 trillion income tax increase, that's not going to have a check on it, uh, assuming the Supreme Court doesn't get involved, which I don't think they will. Uh, disastrous Green New Deal environmental policies, environmental policies like the one that Biden has proposed, that are disastrous no matter which way you look at it, those will get passed without any check. I mean, it's just, it's it's terrifying to think about. And again, I'm not saying that Joe Biden's a good candidate. I would, I'm not going to vote for him. It's a question for me in November of whether or not I can pull the lever for Trump. But a Joe Biden presidency, as horrible as it may be, and as bad as he may damage some of the very institutions that make America great, again, not to use a Trumpian phrase, but as much as that may happen, uh, the policy side of things could be very limited. We could control the damage. We could contain the damage if we keep the Republican majority in the Senate. And I'm not asking the party to go out and pick up a couple seats here and there. I'm not asking the party to go on the attack. Frankly, we're not in a position to go on the attack. Uh, I just think it's important that we do whatever we can to preserve the majority we have to limit, again, the 
potential harm caused by a Biden administration with unchecked powers uh, as far as it comes to passing public policy. Uh, so whether that means reallocating monetary resources to, to campaigns uh, that would otherwise go to the Trump campaign, so taking some of that money and pumping it into pumping it into Maine for Martha McSally or Arizona or Arizona for Martha McSally or Maine for uh, Susan Collins, uh, or dedicating national staffers to those races, whatever it may be, uh, bringing in more campaign support uh, at the higher level, whatever it may be, it just it has to be done. Uh, we've got to jump ship from the Trump train. We've got to derail the Trump train, focus our resources on something that we can realistically control, which is these vulnerable Senate races and try and preserve this majority as best we can, because it's the best hope for the party going forward. And like I said, post Trump is the best time for the party to naturally heal. I think you could do that fairly quickly after Trump leaves office. But again, until then it's a waiting game, but with a unified Republican party and control of the Senate, which, again, would also give us control over most of the judicial nomination processes. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we could severely, or, yeah, severely limit uh, the damage that could be done by a Biden presidency policy-wise. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Hopefully my uh, struggles to produce basic English sentences uh, didn't dissuade you from tuning in to the next few episodes. Uh Subscribe on Spotify. Uh, just click the follow button. Uh, turn on your notifications for future episodes. Again, I appreciate your support. I appreciate you tuning in and listening and uh, spending some time with me. Uh, I hope you have a great day, great night, great morning, whenever you're listening to this. I hope you kick some ass, make the most out of your day, or make the most out of the time that you have. And we will see you next time. <laughs>